Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Sawate. I'm your host, Stella, and this is Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode, can you believe it, Wiginti, aka episode 20 for April MMXI. Kimberly Rockmore is unfortunately, or fortunately for her, off on her Easter vacation. Episode 20 is brought to you by People Against the Eating of Peeps or Pipe. Each year, millions of peeps in multiple colors and in the shape of bunnies or of chicks are killed. These are not mercy killings. Peeps encounter death by being consumed or by being exploded in microwaves. People Against the Eating of Peeps asks you to help these helpless things and just say no. The next time that you see someone popping a peep in a microwave, just shove that person in right after it. Peeps deserve human compassion too. Save the peep. Eat a stuffed animal. This is a public service announcement brought to you by People Against the Eating of Peeps or Pipe. Batgirl to Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. Examples of the prizes you may encounter are Detective Comics number 418 from 1971, in very good condition for $16.65, and Detective Comics number 419 from 1972, again in very good condition for $16.65. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. Examples of the prices you may encounter are again July's Batgirl number 23 and Birds of Prey number 14, both 
for $2.69. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Well, April has been a pretty busy month. If you out there hadn't noticed, I had put out three episodes in three weeks, and that is a tiring job. I do not know how some people like uh, Josh Bertoni and Michael Billy do it. More respect to them. But I hope you enjoyed the regular uh, episode 18, the commentary episode for Superman Batman Apocalypse, which was 17.5, and then the April Fool's episode, which was episode 19. That was fun to produce. But now we're back into the regular uh, scheme of things, and this is episode 20. It's still kind of shocking when you get into the double digits um, to think that this has been going on for that long. Uh, but because I am, I guess, kind of lazy, kind of tired from all the, the producing that I had been doing, this is just kind of a standard standard episode, just the reviews. I just have two main pieces of news. Uh, the first being uh, that DC Women Kicking Ass, which you can actually get to to at dcwomenkickingass.tumblr.com. Tumblr is T-U-M-B-L-R. They are holding a contest to celebrate the first anniversary of their site and the release of the second Batgirl trade, The Flood. So the first prize is both trades, The Flood and Batgirl Rising, signed by Brian Q. Miller, plus a page of Pere Perez's original artwork for the series. And you can enter the contest either by submitting a Stephanie Brown as Batgirl cosplay pick, uh, a photobomb, something with either an issue of Batgirl or the Steph action figure, and then making a contribution in any amount to the Girl Scouts of America. You can get more information about this contest on my page at BatgirlToOracle.net, or again, you can go to their site at DCWomenKickingAss.tumblr.com. The other big news, more related to my site, of course, is that the new feed is up, and the new, I guess, quote, new podcast is also up on iTunes. So you should go there definitely to subscribe to the feed or to go onto iTunes and subscribe there. And you can get to this new feed at batgirltooracle.net slash podcast dash feed. So this will most likely be, and this probably will be, the last episode that I will put on Podomatic. And after that, I will just take off my subscription uh, for them. So this is kind of your chance to log on to subscribe to that feed. And once again, thank you to Dustin and all those that were over there at the BatmanUniverse.net helping me out, helping me uh, get that new feed up. So thank you very much. Well, I hope everyone had a wonderful Easter. Um, I myself am still on Easter break, which is really exciting to be an educator, to be a professional, and have a week off. And it basically it's paid vacation because, well, I'm not not getting paid. So it's just nice to, I guess, be refreshed for the last push of the year. But anyways, yes, happy Easter to you. So I'm just going to get started. Detective Comics, number 418, The Kingpin is Dead. It came out in December 1971. Writer Frank Robbins, artist Don Heck. Also included in this issue are And Be a Villain, The Case of the Careless Caretaker, and The Case of the Terrified Tenderfoot. 
uh, the quote I picked out from the pair of these issues. Now fully into her role as a redoubtable Batgirl, she speeds silently across well-sprinkled lawns. And, got to hand it to you, Batgirl, you have a cute way of not accepting the obvious. The premiere of a new movie titled The Stepfather, based on the true story of the 1920s crime kingpin known as Floyd Marcus, and not that movie with Penn Bagley, occurs at a Gotham theater. Everyone shows up in swanky 20s attire, including Gordon Babs and Jason Bard, and a fake drive-by increases the publicity for the event. Unfortunately, a real drive-by happens shortly thereafter, and Marcus, who is in attendance, is gunned down in cold blood upon his arrival. Recognizing the gunman as Marcus's stepson, Mike, Barbara Gordon changes into her Batgirl garb to search his estate for proof linking him to the murder. Hiding out in Mike's garage, she overhears the crooks, who spotted her wet boot prints, saying that they are about to put an end to the Kingpin's family. Batgirl suddenly realizes that Mike Marcus is not the killer. The story is then continued in Detective Comics number 419, Long Live the Kingpin. came out in January 1972, again writer Frank Robbins and artist Don Heck. Also included in this issue are Secret of the Slain Statues. Boy, for some reason, they really liked alliteration here. The Return of Ben Franklin and The Human Target. Now, as Jason Bard tries to find the getaway vehicle with some policemen, Batgirl attacks some of the thugs who are at the shooting. One of the thugs points a gun at Babs and later pistol whips her to take her out of commission. She manages to break loose just as the police and Jason arrive. The commotion wakes up the real Mike Marcus, who demands to know what's going on. Soon, Floyd's bodyguard, Blimp, attempts to shoot Marcus, but is stopped by Batgirl. Batgirl then reveals that Blimp was behind the whole thing because his gun was loaded with blanks, which she learned in advance when she realized that the car used in the murder didn't have any bullet holes from Blimp's counter shots. Batgirl also realized the person who she thought was Mike was an imposter because the fake glasses he was wearing didn't have lenses and as such didn't catch the light from the Tommy gun burst during the murder. Jason commends Batgirl for not going down the obvious path, and later Gordon, Babs, and Jason get a private screening of the stepfather. While Babs says this is her second time viewing it, her father inwardly wonders when she will come clean with her secret. I actually really like this story, because it seemed like such a classic crime mystery out of the 20s, and you know, it even had that, that twist. I'm enjoying how Babs goes down one path of thinking, realizes something with that brainy brain of hers, and then the issue ends, and it leaves the reader hanging and daring us to figure out what Babs knows. And then the next issue comes along, which includes a great Charlie Chan-like explanation of how Babs knew all along. I do have to wonder how uncomfortable Jason felt going to the movies with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's father. And yes, the narrator even refers to Jason as her boyfriend, so I guess it is official. The only disappointing fact uh, I must bring up is that Jason was barely in the issue and didn't really add anything to the plot. But he does flirt with Batgirl, I guess. Is that plot further? Is, is that further in the plot? I, I don't know. I thought it a little strange that the thugs were able to figure out that Batgirl must have been sniffing around just because there were boot prints. And really, they didn't really look like boot prints. They just looked like something with a heel, so it could have been any female. You know, Batgirl most assuredly is not the only woman to wear boots. 
There were so many trick guns in this issue, i.e. guns with safeties on or guns with blanks, that I feel like the Joker should have been behind it all, you know, with his guns with the bang flag that pops out. At one point, one of the thugs says, you now do much, Batgirl, you gotta go. And I have to wonder, was this a typo? Yes, you now do much, okay, not you know too much. Or did he just have a strange accent that only appeared in one panel? I try to figure out if she maybe punched him in his nose, you know. You don't do much, Batgirl, you gotta go. But I, I, maybe one of you readers out there may have figured out something that I, I did not. I like the fact that the writers are downplaying the fact that Gordon knows his daughter's secret. But sometimes it does seem a little ridiculous. Should she not have been concerned that he would recognize his car was gone? And who would really quietly watch a movie after someone got down? It kind of seems unrealistic that uh, the mob boss got killed and then she ran away into the theater to watch the movie. But uh, I guess she thinks that her father is naive enough to believe it. I find it funny that Gordon asks himself where Babs had gone to and then chides himself for not realizing sooner. He does ask a good question, though. When will Babs take her father into her confidence? And I guess we'll see. Uh, 9 out of 10 bats. Actually really enjoyable and fast-paced. Probably one of the, the better ones I have read from. Uh, the 1970s. Okay, when I come back, I will review Batgirl number 19 and Birds of Prey number 10. During the break, please enjoy another candidate for Stephanie Brown's theme song, Both Hands by Annie DeFranco. And now, Zias's Radio Hour. Out in the rain And I am listening to the low moan Of the dial tone again And I am getting Nowhere with you And I can't let it go And I can't get through And the old woman behind the pink curtains and the closed door on the first floor she's listening through the air shaft to see how long a swan song can last in both hands now use both hands oh no don't close your eyes i am writing graffiti on your body i am drawing the story of how hard we try And I am watching your chest rise and fall like the tides of my life And the rest of it all in your bones have been my bed frame And your flesh has been my pillow I've been waiting for sleep to offer up the deep with both hands And 
each other's shadow we grew less and less tall And eventually our theories couldn't explain it all And I'm recording our history now on the bedroom wall And when we leave the landlord will come and paint over it all And I'm walking out in the rain And I am listening to the low moan and the dial tone again And I am getting nowhere with you And I can't let it go And I can't get Please use both hands. Oh no, don't close your eyes. I am writing graffiti on your body. I am drawing the story of how hard we tried. How hard we tried. How hard we tried. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the Burn reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. Welcome back. Uh, so now we are skidding across the space-time continuum and landing in 2011, where we have, first up, Batgirl number 19, The Lesson, Tunnel Vision Part 1 of 2. Writer Brian Q. Miller, artist. I I struggled with this. It could either be Ramon or Raymond, and I apologize. But it, either way, Ramon or Raymond Box, and colorist Guy Major. The quote that I pulled out was a little conversation between Bad Girl and Detective Nick. We've been on a few of these things together now, right? Crime scenes? I'll continue to call them forbidden work dates, but sure. The issue opens with Stephanie talking to her mom about chaos over waffles. Steph's mom is thankful that Steph was at home safe and sound and casually mentions that there was another mysterious robbery. Steph is concerned because, well, she wanted to open a savings account. Batgirl visits the scene while Detective Nick is investigating. What is odd is only a few thousand dollars is missing from the bank, while just over a million dollars remains. Meanwhile, Grey Ghost, a.k.a. Clancy Johnson, is keeping track of Batgirl. At Gotham U, Babs and Steph talk about Babs' new role in the hero community. Steph also presses Babs to talk with Proxy in order to prevent any hurt feelings. Steph and a classmate get in trouble for general lack of awareness and intro to dynamic systems. Babs and Wendy have a one-sided conversation. Batgirl catches Grey Ghost trying to keep tabs on her, and both Batgirl and Grey Ghost catch Slipstream on another heist. 
Batgirl learns a lot from her encounter with Slipstream, not the least of which are his name, the fact that he is, has a frictionless suit, and that gooperangs do not stick to him. After getting beat up, Batgirl almost sees her end until Slipstream seems to encounter a violent override, preventing him from attacking her further. Batgirl does manage to slip Slipstream's spray can from him during the fight and brings it back to a made-over firewall. Wendy fills Batgirl in on the fact that Slipstream was tagging all the money and will take it all when it undergoes a mass transfer. Looks like it is Batgirl v. Slipstream, round two. Ding, ding! I love the opening scene, uh, especially with Stephanie's reflection in the syrup. You know, you know, I feel like many of us probably believe that there are only a number of ways that you could incorporate waffles into a comic book. But I swear, uh, you know, Brian Q. Miller is a genius. He just comes up with all these ways that you would never really see. And, you know, here's a new way that he can incorporate waffles into his issues. So I very much uh, applaud him for that. And, you know, this reflection, you know, Echo Narcissus, anyone, you know, from, from Ovid, Ovid's Metamorphoses? Maybe that's just me, who knows. But her rambling also makes it clear to me, anyways, how worn out she is um, from fighting and, and being a student. I suppose this could also connect to the scene in the classroom, in the intro class. Now, I thought this scene in the intro to Dynamic Systems was probably the least clear and useful. Um, you know, like I said before, this could probably push the fact that Steph is way overworked, but at the same time, I feel like it was quite random. But, you know, thinking about it now and looking back at it now, I actually wonder if the guy sleeping in the seat next to her and the one that um, got in trouble is actually Slipstream. Um, he is just as tired. And he has a strange computer program up on his computer, which looks like a map of a city with a large red dot on one of the buildings, which could potentially be a bank. And he is, as we are, actually tracking the money. So potentially that a slipstream could be a kid, which we've already discovered the Reapers are in college. So this could make sense. I'm glad that Miller is addressing the change in Babs's position. Obviously, she's not Oracle anymore, but we'll get to that later. But it doesn't really seem to um, shed enough light on the whole situation. We don't really have any more answers than we will in Birds of Prey number 9. Um, she's building a new internet, but really, what, what does that even mean? Why is she building a new internet? I like how Stephanie seems to be a medium between many characters. You know, I think this proves how easy she is to relate to. It was a nice surprise to see her be the one to show concern for Wendy and tell Babs that she needs to speak with her. Barbara and Wendy's talk is, you know, it seemed familiar to me. Uh, and it, it almost made it seem as if we're back to square one with Wendy. You know, she's angry again. She feels abandoned, which, you know, quite rightly, perhaps, in this case. And, and Babs gives her, again, a pep talk that ends in, you could be so much more than you believe you can be. So I'm wondering, you know, are we, have we gone back on, on Wendy's character? Right now, the gray ghost seems to be more of an annoyance to Stephanie at least. Um, I'm hoping that he undergoes some sort of gauntlet or, or even rescues Batgirl and becomes an actual hero and maybe a sometime partner for her. I think it does need to be a slow progression. You know, I don't necessarily want to see this happen next issue, but I hope that he does undergo some sort of change. 
Slipstream is an interesting villain, and I do like that Batgirl was not able to take him down on her first try. You know, what fun would that be? I hope that she will have to really use her intelligence to stop him. I think that's one thing we haven't necessarily seen is her use her smarts and figure out when the odds are stacked against her, how how is she going to make this work? It's also interesting that while the last time we saw him, it appeared that he was in charge of the Reapers, it may be that there is yet another fish at the top. And finally, two very minor details in the issue, the new firewall and the interaction with Detective Nick. Now, the makeover to firewall is very cool, even the purple sport coupe uh, that you see on the pedestal. And I think that this whole makeover actually testifies to the fact that Team Batgirl is really making its way and gaining respect in the superhero community, especially with Bruce Wayne, which I think is a key person um, that you really need to impact. And I thought that Steph using a paper clip, uh, you know, going over to the interaction with Detective Nick Gage, her using a paper clip folded to look like her bat symbol to get his attention was really cute. Uh, I'm glad that they're working together, and it really is getting to be like a Jim Gordon Batman relationship. Uh, what with the secrecy, you know, him asking his uh, his fellow policeman to, to leave for a minute and give him some time alone with the scene, and then she come down and talk to him. And I, you know, just like Batgirl, would, would like to know what Nick's secret is. And, and I'm wondering when we will see any resolution to this mystery. I did actually miss Nguyen's uh, art, but Box, you know, he does do a good job as interim. Uh, he'll probably, I assume, be the artist for the next issue as well, and then hopefully we'll see Nguyen back. I would give this issue, I think, 8.5 out of 10 bats. You know, there are a lot of issues that are brought up. Uh, Babs as non-Oracle, Wendy, Nick, Slipstream. But, you know, very little is revealed. There were many great minor scenes, which hopefully will all come together soon. Okay, and finally, my unfortunately last review is Birds of Prey number 10, The Death of Oracle, part 4, The Gristle and the Ghostly. Again, with all this alliteration, I don't know what's going on here. Okay, it was written by Gail Simone, artist Inaki Miranda, and colors Nerofino. In the previous issue, Calculator just got current to blow up Oracle's helicopter. Helena goes wild and scratches Calculator. This in turn leads the minions of the Hive to start questioning the capability of Calculator as a leader. Huntress furthers this doubt by saying that the whole superhero community will be gunning for Calculator because of Oracle's death. Calculator tells his minions to kill the girls, but Current says that it is time for Calculator to take a swing. Dove leaps in front of a blast to protect Helena, and Mortis awakens from her comatose state in order to tell Calculator that Dinah escaped and it is time to run. Too late! Dinah and Hawk leap into action and start a beatdown. We learn that Hawk was in the copter as Oracle was remote piloting it. While these two are detained, Huntress and Lady Blackhawk go after Calculator. After all these events, we see three different heroes, Booster Gold, Manhunter, and Blue Beetle, all asking for Oracle's assistance. And she's not going to help? It seems that Babs has decided to go back into the shadows because it is safer for everyone. She's more like a big sister, always watching but not interfering as much. We also learn that Wendy as proxy will be the main info jock. The only ones who know about this are Dick Grayson, Bruce Wayne, Stephanie Brown, Tim Drake, and Charlie Radcliffe Gage. If you don't know who that is, it's Misfit. I... 
I am actually rather sad to say that this was an awful issue, and it really pains me to say this because Birds of Prey, in general, the title, um, the comic that started way back when, is a great comic series, and I just don't know what happened here. The writing was not that good, and I just could not get into it. Huntress's dialogue is at times smart and insightful, but everything else that people say seems to fall short and really does not hold up to Simone's standards. It seems that this arc could have been done in three issues rather than four, and I hate drawing things out in order to get more issues. That's one of my pet peeves there. Things were tied up so quickly in a nice little bow at the very end. Mortis was raised up to such a dangerous threat level, and then we have her portrayed as this weakling. Bipolar, anyone? One quote that I really don't understand, and this is coming from Calculator. Okay, we leave, you and me, I'll buy you all the women you can eat. Agreed? Okay, so this is talking to Current. Does Current eat women? Was I supposed to take this literally? You know, I'm a, I'm a little disturbed here. And then we have the meaning, the actual meaning of Death of Oracle, which really you could have figured out probably from the first issue of this arc. What is Oracle's purpose if she's basically going to be an Uatu-like character? Look, but don't touch. The whole purpose of Oracle is to be an aid to all other heroes. Why is she creating this void? Um, nature hates a vacuum. Someone's going to fill it, and it really cannot be Wendy because I don't think she, I mean, obviously, from Batgirl, she's not ready for this yet, so I don't know what's going on. Wendy, someone not present in the issue, yeah, she's getting a big promotion, which, uh, should she not be more dedicated to Team Batgirl? And then we have the people that are let in on the secret that Oracle is still alive, but will be working in a different capacity. I would probably say four out of five of those deserve to be there. Why is Misfit there? I mean, what has she done lately? And does anyone not want to laugh at her? Because when I look at her, I feel like I, I just don't respect that character at all. And, you know, then there's the lack of Cassandra Kane, And I know a lot of people are wondering about that. You know, even Tim asks, why doesn't Cassandra have access? And Bab says, you're thinking of access as a privilege. It's also a burden. Cassandra's got enough to deal with right now, Red Robin. What is she dealing with? What do they know that that we don't know? See, again, it's this whole issue as what what is Cassandra Kane doing right now? And obviously she should be doing something, but I I don't know. I'm just as frustrated as you are out there. Again, we have a different artist. Shocking, isn't it? And an artist who does not really seem to capture the heart of the team. You know, pretty much the best thing about this issue is the cover by Archer, which actually doesn't really make sense if you look at it, because Mortis is putting on Oracle's mask. Doesn't really make sense. I miss way back when, in the 1960s, when the covers were actually panels from the inside of the issue, that those were fun, but instead we have these. I give this 4 out of 10 bats. I, I apologize, and I know that there are probably those of you out there that loved it and give 10 out of 10, but this is just my opinion. If Number one, who's going to be Oracle? Number two, would Oracle really just sit there while 
you know, Booster Gold, Manhunter, and Blue Beetle are getting crushed to death by something. It doesn't seem likely. This is not not the Barbara Gordon that I have been going through for 19 episodes. <laughs> so I'm I'm a little disturbed. And obviously, next issue I'm pretty sure is the Catman Huntress date. So that's not going to resolve anything. So I'm just I don't know. There's got to be another phrase that's better than looking forward to. But I'm just ready for some sort of resolution to figure out where this is headed. Um, so, okay. <laughs> I should ask uh, Chuck Dixon when I when I interview him what he thinks about this. Anyways, uh, so we'll go on, get kind of that uh, bad taste of out, our, out of our mouths, and uh, use the Babs in the Tube segment as our Listerine. Obviously, if this is, well, I guess not obviously, but if this is the first time that you're tuning in, this segment, Babs in the Tube, is where I examine an individual appearance of Barbara Gordon in the media, whether it be TV or film. And currently I'm watching the 1966 Batman TV series. So this episode is number 98. It came from Season 3, Episode 4, The Sport of Penguins, which is actually Part 1 of a two-part episode came out October 5th, 1967, starring Adam West as Bruce Wayne slash Batman, Burt Ward as Dick Grayson slash Robin, Frank Burgess Meredith as the Penguin, Neil Hamilton as Commissioner Jim Gordon, Alan Napier, Alfred Pennyworth, and Yvonne Craig as Barbara Gordon slash Batgirl, guest starring Ethel Merman as Lola Lasagna, and Constance Davis as Myrtle, Horace McMahon as Glue Gluten. Fun fact for Ethel Merman is that she was actually, um, she was on Broadway for a time. That's what I, I knew her from, um, from some shows. I believe she was in one of, one of my favorites, Damn Yankees. I actually saw it when Jerry Lewis was in it, which was, it was wonderful. Anyways, she did not need to be mic'd. She was just that, that powerful and I guess verbose, um, able to project. And you can kind of tell, um, when you watch this particular episode, it's as if she were yelling all the time, um, at Burgess Meredith, but I don't, you can kind of just, it's, she's a very respectable woman, so it's just fun to watch her. In, in a different capacity, I suppose, as, as an actress on TV rather than an actress on Broadway. Uh, the quote, um, oh gosh, it's sometimes these quotes are just so ridiculous, but, um, Batman asks her how she could have known something, and, and, and she says, through the one thing you couldn't possibly have in your utility belt, a woman's intuition. The penguin steals Lola Lasagna's fancy priceless parasol during a photo session highlighting her and her prize-winning filly, Parasol, at the racetrack. Then, while trying to pilfer a priceless folio of famous parasols, Penguin is quickly stopped by Barbara Gordon. He quickly drops the folio and scrams, but strategically turns on a time bomb in his umbrella and leaves it in a nearby umbrella stand. Barbara quickly contacts her dad, who in turn contacts the Caped Crusader and the Boy Wonder, who rush over to the Gotham Library in the nick of time to dispatch the deadly umbrella bomb before it detonates. Later, Lola herself visits Penguin's bookshop under the pseudonym of fortune hunter Lulu Schultz, who was divorced by her wealthy husband, who completely cleaned her out, leaving her with nothing but the racehorse parasol. She discovered that the supposedly valuable umbrella Pengi swiped is only a fake. 
Penguin sets his monocle on Lola's real prized possession, her horse parasol, who is favored to win the Bruce Wayne handicap. Although the winnings are supposed to be donated to the Wayne Foundation for charity, Penguin has a dastardly plan to fix the race so that they both come out victorious, and Lola joins in gladly. At Glue Gluten's Glue Factory, again with the alliteration, Penguin and Lola try to purchase a rundown nag that closely resembles Parasol, but they are interrupted by the arrival of Batman, Robin, and eventually Batgirl. The Blackbird of Prey, <laughs> very good, quickly summons his henchmen, and the inevitable bat fight begins as Lola swipes the horse. While the henchmen battle it out with the dynamic trio, the penguin dashes outside to apply pastel to the Batmobile's seats. So when the Batman and Robin attempt to give chase, they find themselves glued to their own car. While the pompous, waddling master of foul play makes another attempt to snatch the valuable portfolio of parasols from the library, Lola spray paints the glue factory horse to look like parasol. I'm a little confused at the very beginning as to why Babs is just standing there making shocked faces while Penguin breaks into a case. You know, not only is he making a lot of noise in the library, which, for those of you that are my age, if you remember all that and that crazy lady that said, this is a library but would scream at you, so it'd be kind of an oxymoron. So he's making a lot of noise, but he's obviously going to steal it. So why didn't she stop him before he broke the case? I don't know. The bat shield is pretty funny. I love to see all the different gadgets that they come up with. The scene with the Bat Computer was like a Bing commercial on steroids. I'm afraid this Bat Computer does not have as great a use as it does nowadays. And, you know, how helpful are 3x5 index cards? I'm not sure how a horse would feel comfortable in a glue factory, uh, even though, you know, glue gluten does say that uh, <laughs> they don't make it out of horse anymore. Still, I feel like the horse would be nervous. I think Batman should also invest in some security for his Batmobile. If he had, he probably wouldn't have been stuck to his seat. And it's, uh, it, you know, it's good to know that the Gotham City Library has a prowler signal that's connected to Babs's room, uh, in her apartment, if, yeah, to be more specific. Uh, but, you know, nine out of ten bats, again, these are, these are still, they're still funny, uh, Sometimes I do wonder um, what is going on, but I guess that's that's the 60s for you. Uh, yeah. Okay, and my last little segment is, of course, my literature recommendation. Um, and this kind of goes along with actually a movie recommendation, kind of like I did for Batman, Superman, Supergirl. Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte, and I don't know if I have recommended this at all to you before, but it is actually one of my favorites, my top two. Jane Eyre and Gone with the Wind are my, my two favorite novels, so I'm recommending my one, I guess, right here. So Jane Eyre is a first-person narrative, obviously, of the title character, Jane Eyre. The novel goes through five distinct uh, stages. You know, we have Jane's childhood at Gateshead, where she is emotionally and physically abused by her aunt and cousins. Her education at Lowood School, where she acquires friends and role models, but also suffers privations and oppression. Her time as the governess of Thornfield Hall, where she falls in love with her employer, Edward Rochester. 
her time with the Rivers family, during which her earnest but sometimes cold clergyman cousin St. John Rivers proposes to her, and the finale with her reunion with and marriage to her beloved Rochester. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes tough, I think, to explain why you love something so much, but Jane is just the epitome of a literary heroine, um, just sticking to her guns, to her beliefs. And once she figures out Rochester's secret, and I don't really want to spoil it to you in case you read it, which I do really would like you to read this, um, he wants her to stay with him. And, and, you know, he says, who would you be, who would you be offending? Yeah, it's the better one. And, you know, herself, you know, I would be offending myself. And as well, and she, she has deep Christian ideals as well. And so just a, a, you know, a heroine that, you know, on the one hand, her love, and then on the other, staying true to herself. And those are just really tough odds to go against. And I don't know, I just love her, her strength and her passion. So I, I very much would love you, anyone, to read this. And it's actually fun to almost compare Jane Eyre with Wuthering Heights by uh, Emily and, whoa, completely different. I, I'm sure some of you know what I'm talking about. But then, you know, the new Jane Eyre movie also recently came out, and man, you know, for someone who loves Jane Eyre, I mean, I've seen all of the productions of it. I've not seen the Broadway play, uh, though I do really want to get the, the soundtrack. I'm interested in that. And I didn't see the Charlotte Gainsbourg um, production of it, movie-wise. But all the other ones, you know, the the one with um, Orson Welles as Rochester, Timothy Dalton as Rochester. Ooh, I feel like his name is Toby something. He was the bad guy in Die Another Day as Rochester. Um, so basically, I, I love me some Jane Eyre. This new one with Mia Wazakowska. Uh, you may know her from uh, Alice in Wonderland, playing Alice. Um, it's really good. You know, obviously it doesn't stick really close. You know, they don't have the freedom of time that BBC productions have. But I thought, you know, it was really good. She is a great Jane. And, you know, the guy who plays Rochester, he's still attractive. And, you know, Rochester is always described as not being attractive. But I don't know. He's attractive or it's just the idea of, you know, Mr. Rochester being attractive. But it's, yeah, two thumbs up for me. I recommend seeing it. Um, and, you know, give me your thoughts if you've read Jane Eyre, what you think of it. But <sighs> I just love Jane Eyre. Okay, well, I'll get off of this this love fest here. Uh, you know, with with Detective Comics 418, we, we finished off the year of 1971. So, as always, I'll give my, my best and worst of 1971. The best, I would say Detective Comics number 417, A Bullet for Gordon, especially because we are now that Jim Gordon knows, for how long, we don't know, that Batgirl is his daughter, Barbara Gordon. And I give that a 9 out of 10. The worst, <laughs> uh, 1971, was Detective Comics number 409, Night of the Sharp Horns, with a 4 out of 10. There were just so many problems with it, and I wondered why couldn't this have taken place in Gotham. Yeah, not the best. 
uh, please continue to send any questions or comments to batgirltooracle at gmail.com. Continue to sign the petition to get Batgirl Year One back into production. Remember that um, it is www.gopetition.com slash petition slash batgirl-year-one.html. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Thanks also to tv.com for the episode summary for The Sport of Penguins. I also encourage you to support and listen to Superman in the Bronze Age, which is a weekly podcast hosted by Charlie Nehemiah. Finally, thanks to all of you uh, for listening. 20 episodes in, still can't believe it, but thanks for sticking with me, or if you're new listeners, thanks for joining, and I hope you enjoy. Remember to stay tuned after the show to hear another candidate for Steph's theme song. This one is Look At Me Now by DJ Jesse. Until next time, and hopefully a lower pollen count, fly on, bad lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. I love a happy ending, don't you? I've been caged by you for such a long, long time You had your own particular way to fill my mind With low esteem regarding myself So I kept me hidden within my shell And it took so long for me to see How the more ashamed you were to me Look at me now, I'm stronger than before Cause I found the strength within myself To close the door And I close the door for you To ever come inside again I'm trying so hard to keep me sheltered From your kind of men I've been blind and Just a girl.
You thought I'd never be the same I recovered on my own Without you now I'll carry 